Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you got a Bible, I'd love it if you turn to two spots, Genesis 28, and put a marker in Isaiah 6. And point number one, we're going to be going back and forth between these two, so you're going to have to be really good at just keeping your spot and, and flipping over, flipping over, because all three of the subpoints we're going to go back and forth between Genesis 28 and Isaiah 6. This weekend, we're continuing our series entitled The Name Changer, where we're taking a look at Jacob's life and a little bit of the process that he went through. Last week, we kicked this series off talking about ungodly labels that people try and stick to you, right? What's an ungodly label? It's, it's any description, it's any name, any title, any adjective that someone puts on you that God vehemently disagrees with, right? And we learn that some of us, without even realizing it, have a tendency to live down to these labels just because somebody told us when we were young, this is who we are, right? Labels aren't identities, they're lies, okay? But we can't just talk about labels, we've got to talk about names. Now, I want to be careful with this message because not everybody in scripture had a literal name change, all right? But all of us have, as all of us as in sons and daughters of God, children of God, when we become a believer in Jesus, we receive a new nature, right? We know that in the New Testament, scripture tells us that not only do we receive a new nature, but we have to put on that new nature daily. And we're gonna talk about that later in the series, but I want to show you, because I've known I was going to preach this message, this series for months, and I actually thought that week number two would be all about the wrestling match between pre-incarnate Christ and Jacob at the Jabbok River. And as I studied this week and prayed and prepared through this, it became very obvious that the Lord wanted to talk about a couple of other things in the walk-up to the wrestling match. So we're going to cover Genesis 28, we're going to cover... Genesis 31 and the leader's cut. We're going to cover everything in between, but we're going to go from Genesis 28 to Genesis 32. All right. And here's the title of the message. When a name changes, the game changes. When a name changes, the game changes. I'm going to give you three things. Here's point number one. We're going to read a ton of scripture. So I hope you don't hate your Bible because if you hate your Bible, you're going to hate this message. All right. But if you love your Bible, you're going to enjoy reading through a lot of God's word this weekend. Point number one, holy moments with God are essential for every person created by God. If you call this church your home church in this season of your life, you need to understand that I, as the senior pastor, and we, as a church, put a priority on holy moments. And if, if you're new to our church, let me just help you understand what a holy moment is. A holy moment is a normal moment God steps into to enjoy with you, all right? That's what a holy moment is. In, in the church context, a holy moment is, is any time the God of the universe steps into the room and does whatever he wants to do. It's a holy moment. As I was preparing this, I, I originally worded point number one like this. Holy moments with God are essential for the children of God. Because I was just thinking, I mean, that, that, this is, that's a true statement, is it not? 
that holy moments with God are essential for the children of God. But I got corrected. And the Lord reminded me. And, and this is an evangelistic, a missional reminder. It isn't just the children of God that need holy moments with God. It's every single person created by God. This is what we want in our church. We want, I want to be able to bring my neighbor. I want to bring my friends who do not yet know Jesus. And they come into the house of God, but they don't just come into the house of God. They come into the presence of God. And, and when they come into the house of God and the presence of God is here and the pleasure of God is obvious, all bets are off. And I just want to show you in Jacob's life, he experiences a holy moment with God that I personally believe changed his life. Now, this is before the name change, all right? So I just want you to see this, and I want to teach you a little bit about holy moments. Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. He slept on a rock. Okay, that was his pillow. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you were lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust on the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Hey, this is a holy moment. If God talked like this to you, would you call it holy? Yeah, okay, let me, let me push a little bit further. How many of us wake up in the morning believing it's possible that God could talk to us or would talk to us like this? Okay, good, a couple of us. That means we have room to grow. All right. If it happened for Jacob, it can happen for you. Watch verse 16. Then Jacob awakened from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place right here where I am. And I wasn't even aware of it. You know how true that is for so many of us? Some of us are in this room right now, not even aware of the fact that the CEO of the universe is present in this place. Jacob has an epiphany. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. Watch this next part. But he was also afraid. Preston's paraphrase. He, paraphrase. he was scared to death. You'll see why. He says, what an awesome place this is. An awe-filled place. Not, he wasn't saying what an amazing place. He was saying what an awe-filled place this is. Where God is. It is none other than the house of God. The very gateway to heaven Incidentally, this was the verse that God gave Pastor Robert, my mentor, for the name Gateway Church. Verse 18 is the verse the Lord gave me three and a half years ago in London about my name change. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. 
Then he poured olive oil over it. That's my favorite part of verse 18. He set the, the rock upright as a pillar, a memorial pillar. And if you don't know what that means, a memorial pillar was set up to commemorate a holy moment between God and a human. And then he pours oil over it. Okay, I want to teach you a couple of things, three things about holy moments, because you may not know this, but as your pastor, I pray every week of my life and yours that you would encounter the God of the universe in tangibly holy moments. Now, you might be praying that, that your life would be normal. You need to know if you come to church here, I am actually, as your pastor, praying that your life would be completely abnormal. See how we do that together? You, you pray for it to be normal. And I'm like, Lord, don't listen to them. Don't do it. Don't listen to them. They were made for abnormal. They were made to walk into a room and everybody in the room, take note, pay attention. Not because they're awesome, but because the God who is awesome walked in with them. So Lord, I pray today will be a tangibly holy moment experience in their lives. I pray this over you all the time. I want to teach you a couple things about holy moments. Here's the first thing. Holy moments shake you. Okay, now we're going to look at two holy moment encounters, one with Jacob, one with Isaiah and Isaiah 6. So we're going to go back and forth because I want you to see there's consistency. All right? Basically, these subpoints mean you know you're experiencing or experienced a holy moment when. All right? First, holy moments shake you. Let me go back and read Genesis 28, verse 17. Jacob was also afraid. He was encountering the one true God. What an awesome place this is, an awe-filled place. Here's what you have to know. Real encounters with God produce an awe and fear that create an immediate awareness of sin. Now, if you put a, a marker in Isaiah 6 or put your finger there, flip over to Isaiah 6. We're going to go back and forth between Genesis 28 and Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I, Isaiah, saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's an important statement. It speaks to his weightiness. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, okay? These seraphim, these angels. They were calling out to each other in front of the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. Or your translation may say, is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Watch this next part. Isaiah says, then I said, he, he, he shouts out, it's all over. It's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have unclean lips and I live among a people with filthy lips too. Okay, I love that Isaiah bus chucks everybody around him. He, the, the moment is so holy. Now remember, I'm kind of being silly, but remember, the earth is filled with his glory. He, he is seeing that, that the glory of God isn't just present in this moment where he was seeing this vision. 
the whole earth is filled with his glory. So of course he doesn't just say, I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, we're all. We're all people with unclean lips. Okay, he's in a holy moment and one of the first things he feels, he gets an awareness of the holiness of God because he hears the angel saying, holy, holy, holy. Now I don't have time to really go down this path, but it's really important, this triplicate. This is the only divine attribute in scripture that is referred to in triplicate. So you, you don't hear love, love, love. That God is love, love, love as one of his attributes. You don't hear justice, justice, justice. But we do hear holy, holy, holy. Why? Well, in the Hebrew, there's really no way to communicate superlatives. Holier, holiest. And so how is it communicated? Repetition. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you're in a holy moment, with the holy God, the one true God, one of the ways you know you are experiencing a holy moment with God is you become very aware of his holiness and you also become aware of your unholiness. That he is God and I am not. Why? Because holy mo moments shake you. Here's the second thing. Holy moments shape you. They don't just shake you, they shape you. Now, I'm going I'm to make a statement and then I'll explain it, but it might not make sense in the beginning. Just give me time. Holy moments aren't designed to make you skinnier. They're designed to make you stronger. We're going to talk about sin management a little bit here. All right? Holy moments don't just give you a desire to remove sin. They give you a desire to replace sin with righteous living. So let's, let's take these uh, two sides of the coin uh, kind of take them one by one. First, encountering a holy God in a holy moment leads to a decreased desire for unholy behaviors. How many of you have ever wanted to be less um, dictated by unholy behaviors? Anybody ever have a problem with unholy behavior and you wish you just behaved in an unholy manner less of the time? Okay, good. Let's, a lot of people put their hands up and some people are like, no, I'm good. Yeah, okay. All right, that was unholy what you just did. Okay. I always like to point that out. Let's keep going. Watch this. Watch how Isaiah responds. Verse six, you should still be in Isaiah six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips. Why did he touch his lips? Because Isaiah, for some reason, in this holy moment with God, the first thing that comes to his mind is, I'm a man of unclean lips. So here's, here's my perspective. He might've had a problem with his mouth. Now, remember what we talked about last week. Usually what the enemy does is he tries to attack the one thing God created you to be known for, right? So part of the call of my life was to preach the gospel, the truth. So how did he attack me? He tried to get me to become a liar, right? The opposite. So Isaiah finds himself in this moment and the first thing, when he encounters the holiness of God, what seems to him to be most unholy is his mouth. And the angel comes and brings a coal, a burning coal from the altar of heaven to shape, do something about his unholy lips. Verse seven, he touched my lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. 
and your sins are forgiven. Okay, Isaiah got, a, got an awareness. It, when he was in a holy moment with our holy God, this is not gonna work. I am now acutely aware of the fact that the way I have used this gift is unholy. And now that I've seen his holiness in a way I've never seen it before, it's going to change the way I use this. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, yep, you're right. This holy moment was meant to shape you. My paraphrase, stop using your mouth the way you used to. This moment was meant to shape you. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Encountering a holy God and a holy moment leads to an increased desire for more holy behaviors. Okay, go back to Genesis 28. Keep your marker in Isaiah 6, but go back to Genesis 28. Watch how Jacob responds in his holy moment. Verse 20, then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me. Now, let me just say this. There's disagreement among theologians about whether this is the word if or because. All right, so I know when I read this to you, it's gonna sound like Jacob's making an if-then ultimatum. I don't believe that he is. He's essentially saying, because of what God just told me, all right? So just remember that as I read this to you. Jacob makes this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, that's what God had just promised him, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Okay, you can read it like if-then, or it can read like this, because God said this, and because God said this, because God said this, then my only response can be, he's going to be my God. Okay, so don't hear it like an ultimatum, because it's not. Verse 22, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Okay, remember Jacob's granddaddy, Abraham, Tithe. This is long before God went on record and said, this is what I want because this is mine. Jacob gets in a holy moment and he says, I, I am now very aware. He is God and I am not. And here's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to worship the Lord in this place. This is going to be a place where I worship God. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to present or return to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Okay, holy behaviors. You get into a holy moment, it doesn't just create this desire not to be unholy any longer. It also produces this desire to live more righteously. Now, let's talk about this whole idea of starving yourself as it relates to sin. Because there, there, I'll, I'll use one that everybody kind of thinks about. Let's say pornography is your problem. And let me just shoot straight with you. The worst way to think about Overcoming pornography is just to think this thought, stop it, stop it. I just starve myself of pornography, okay? It's not enough. Starvation is a terrible strategy for strength and freedom from sin because starvation creates weakness and cultivates consistent hunger pains. Just think about it when you fast, Right? You say, I'm, I'm for 40 days, I'm gonna go without this. Let's say it's Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. Okay, because I know you love that. Let's just say you say, for 40 days, I'm gonna go without this. Have you ever noticed within 48 to 72 hours, you go to the grocery store and what is on sale? 
Instead of $9 a gallon, it's $3. And now you're like, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. Like, I know I've got like 38 more days without this. I'm starving myself of this. But you know I'm a good steward. Like, you know, I go to the grocery store and one of the things I do once I'm done is see what percentage I saved. Six dollars off a gallon, Jesus. Now you're going to understand, I'm not going to eat them, but I got to buy six of these. And then you put them in your freezer. Remember, we're talking about you. We're not talking about me. You put them in your freezer. And have you ever noticed, like within 48 hours of putting the thing you are starving yourself of in the freezer. It's like those gallons of ice cream get mouths and they start talking. Preston, I mean, Sarah. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Cookies and cream. If you've never tried the cookies and cream from Bluebell, ooh. Hey, listen, if you're just trying to starve yourself of something, you've probably already learned this. The temptation, don't be surprised when it's a little bit higher than normal. Because if you're fasting, let's just use the principle of fasting. If you're fasting, the point of fasting isn't just to go without something. It's to go without something to make more room for something better. It's not that the ice cream is bad in this situation. Now, pornography is. But sexual in my marriage... Sexual satisfaction isn't bad. What gets really bad is when people start lumping in porn and sexual satisfaction and marriage into the same bucket. And they say, well, then I have to starve myself sexually because this is bad. No, no, no. I don't know if I should say this. It's the nine o'clock. I could probably get away in the 11 o'clock service, but Holly and I are probably going to teach a class on this at some point because she keeps pushing me about this because she's in all these conversations With women, and here's the deal. If you make sexual satisfaction a sin, then don't be surprised if you never experience an orgasm in your marriage. Because in your brain and in your heart, you've lumped it into the same bucket as pornography. Okay, if I starve myself with the ice cream, it's not enough just to say, I'm gonna go without this. I will be more tempted if I don't replace it with something even better. We're meant to, as followers of Jesus, use the principle of fasting as an everyday principle of life. Don't just starve yourself of sin. Replace sin with righteous living. That's part of what we understand. Holiness is about an excess of God. Getting more of God, not just getting less of sin. Here's the third thing. Holy moments don't just shake you, they don't just shape you, they send you. Genesis 29, now verse 1. Watch Jacob's response to this holy moment. Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land in the east. What you have to understand, and one of the reasons I pray for you to have holy moments with the God of the universe, is holy moments always bring the holiest mandates. There's always a sending after a holy moment. Look in Isaiah 6, verse 8. Isaiah says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Watch Isaiah. Isaiah says, I said, Here I am. 
Okay, if you think, just think about this, his lips, what he felt one of the most unholy parts about him, just touched by the coal from the altar of heaven. He's in a holy moment with the God of the universe and he hears God say, Preston's paraphrase, I'm gonna paint the picture. I need something done right now. I wonder if there's anybody who could do this for me. I just imagine Isaiah screaming out like he was on the kickball court in the fourth grade. Pick me, pick me. I'll do it. This is what he says. Here I am, send me. And God said, yes, go. Here's why I pray that God would, would grace you with these supernaturally holy moments with him. Because when we see God do something we've never seen him do, our faith rises and we feel compelled to go do something no one has ever seen us do. This is what Jacob and Isaiah do. They're like, I, I can't just have him be the one doing something in this holy moment. I must go do something in response right now. Holy moments bring holy mandates. Can you imagine if every follower of Jesus Christ in the day in which we live felt they had a holy mandate from the God of the universe? They didn't just wake up to exist. They, woke, they, they awakened every morning on assignment. Can you imagine? That's why we, I think we need more holy moments. We need to make more room for them. Why do you wake up every morning of your life thinking today's just gonna be normal? When there's nothing normal about the God you serve, who is with you and stands over you all day, every day. I submit to you, if every day of your life is normal, you might not be doing life the right way. Jesus showed us that. He said, these things you will do and more. Here's point number two. When we talk about going from a label to a name, Get ready for people from your past to still call you by their label for you. I'd be doing you a disservice if we didn't talk about this. Because some of you I know are in the process, you're dropping labels, and you're hearing the Lord start to speak to you about who he created you to be, but it doesn't quite line up with some of the people of your past saying things about you and over you that are just lies about you. I want to be really gentle with this, but I just need you to know, I kind of don't like people like this. I don't like people who disagree with God as it relates to the call of God in your life. So I'm gonna try and be sensitive about this, but I'm also gonna shoot straight with you. Oftentimes, the people who are most stuck in their past are the very people who try to keep defining you by your past. I hate to out them like that, but I must. The reason they're still talking about something you did 30 years ago is because they're still wrestling with something they did 50 years ago. So their label for you has very little to do with you. Let me just show you. Someone in Jacob's life, his uncle Laban. Watch this. Genesis 31. If you're in 29 or 28, flip over to 31. Genesis 31, verse 20. Jacob outwitted Laban, the Aramean. Now you hear the word outwitted and you think, oh, he must be deceiving again. Don't jump to conclusions. For they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. Okay, question. 
Do you chase an ally or do you chase an enemy? Do you chase somebody you love? Like, do you set out in hot pursuit? No, no, no. There's some issues here. Even though you read the word, outwitted, there's something deeper here and we're going to see it. Laban caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country. Now look in verse 25. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean, Laban says, by deceiving me like this? Notice he throws out the label. What was Jacob's label? Deceiver. Little liar. Could have been his nickname. Laban goes dirty in the first sentence after catching up to him. Here you go again, you little deceiver. Okay, don't forget the fact that over the last couple of years, we actually see a track record, Jacob proves, that is the opposite of what Laban is saying. Laban actually got rich because of Jacob's faithfulness, being honorable before God and Laban. Laban demanded, what do you mean by deceiving me like this? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Okay, kind of sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But I want to take you back to the beginning of this chapter, Genesis 31, verse 1. And I want you to see something maybe when you've read this chapter you missed. Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. They're calling him a thief, deceptive thief. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Why did Jacob leave? Because God told him to. Why did he leave under the cover of darkness? Because Laban had taken issue with him. And it was obvious to everybody in the room. It wasn't because he was deceptive. But do you see how easy it was for Uncle Laban to label Jacob again? You little deceiver. Laban got rich off of Jacob. This is actually why he was mad that Jacob had left. But isn't it interesting the first thing Laban reaches for is the label. Let me just tell you, if you're in a season of life where you're stepping into and putting on, on, a, in a, on a daily basis your new nature in Christ, dropping the old labels, putting on your new nature daily, you have to understand some of the people from your past are going to keep trying to slap that old label on you, even if it's been years since you've lived down to that label. But if you're not living like the label, don't worry about them calling you by the label. Just remember, for people still living down to their old label, it's incredibly convicting to watch you live up to your new name. That's why they're trying to tear you down. So, if you grew up, and your mom called you by a certain description. Terrible in love. I want to be sensitive with this. But one of the things I've learned, sometimes a label that someone puts on you is the label they're most afraid 
is the label that's been stuck to them. And the reason that your mom said that about you when you were in high school is because she was wrestling with the label, having navigated multiple divorces, that she was actually terrible in love. And she, she wasn't, I'm going to believe the best, she wasn't trying to hurt you. She was trying to figure herself out. But it's highly likely that she didn't understand what labeling you would do to your heart. And because you loved her, maybe for a season of your life, you believed her and you lived down to the label. That was then, this is now. If God doesn't agree with it, you can't live according to it. I don't care anybody else's path that they've traveled. Don't let somebody else put their path on top of yours and call it God's. Jacob's uncle came to him and said, this is all you're going to be. You're a deceiver. And I just wonder, going all the way back to Genesis 28, if in his heart, Jacob was like, I know better than that. Because I had a holy moment and I've been doing my best. Have Have I been perfect? No. Since that holy moment, have I been living differently? The evidence would say absolutely yes. Here's the third thing. We're going to get into the name change and we'll be done. Point number three, you better bring your A game if you want a new name. This is what we see in Genesis 32. A.W. Tozer says this, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered that man. How many of you love that about God? That before he can fully use you, he has to crush you. Anybody just ecstatic about that, that little fact? Some of you raise your hand and you're like, I think I know what he's saying. No, no, I don't actually like that now that I know. <laughs> the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered that man. Since Jacob, Genesis 28, we've watched Jacob wrestle with himself, but in Genesis 32, we watch him wrestle with God. Let's read it together. Genesis 32 now, verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. Hit the pause button. Remember, Jacob's on the run. And on one side, he's got his uncle Laban, who is chasing him. On the other side, he's got Esau chasing him, right? With 400 of his fighting men. So he's stuck in the middle of a bit of a situation. He sends his family across the river. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him. Now, Hosea chapter 12 helps us understand the man that wrestled with Jacob was pre-incarnate Christ. He is wrestling with God. He's not wrestling with a man. He's wrestling with the man. He's wrestling with Jesus. But it's interesting to me that verse 24 says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Isn't it fascinating that sometimes God will help you get alone just to remind you, you are in fact not alone. This is one of my pet peeves about children of God. And I'm not not saying this at you. I'm saying this to remind you. When someone says to me, and they're a son or daughter of God, and they say, I'm just so alone. The only way you can feel that alone is if you've forgotten the one who said, I'll never leave you alone. 
Jacob sends his family across the river and he is alone in the camp, but he's not alone. And he finds himself wrestling because pre-incarnate Christ comes to wrestle with him. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that he would not win the match, oh, pre-incarnate Christ, wrestling with this man. Now we know Jacob was strong. We know he was stubborn. He was driven. He worked 14 years for the love of one woman. Homie was stubborn like a donkey. He finds himself wrestling with God. And he would not give in. Watch what happens next. Pre-incarnate Christ touched Jacob's hip. This word in the Hebrew is nagah. Some theologians mean, believe it means struck. Others believe it means touched. I personally believe that it means touched. Because if you had all power in heaven and earth, if you had access to it, you wouldn't need to punch. You could just touch. He dislocates his hip, wrenching it out of socket. And the man said, and Jesus says to him, let me go. You're annoying me, bro. The dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. I will not let His hip just got knocked out of socket. You know what kind of pain you'd be in? My daughter last year just had hip surgery. It, it, it ain't no joke. They dislocated a bone in her hip and turned it, like they dislocated. That's a lot of pain. And Jacob still fights through the pain. And Jesus says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I am dead set on this. I don't just want a holy moment. I want a holy change. And I want it to be right here, right now. Watch this. Jesus says, what is your name? Interesting that he asked Jacob that question. It's the same question Jacob's father asked him the day he stole the blessing. His father said, who is this? What's your name? Is this Esau or is this Jacob? And what did Jacob do? He lied, didn't he? It's fascinating to me that Jesus says, what's your name? He already knew. What's your name? Jacob replies, Yaakov, Jacob. Jesus says, you'll no longer be Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and with men and have won. I think some of us think that the Christian life is just supposed to be easy. And if you have that thought, you're going to be disappointed consistently. Is anything truly incredible easy? I love my marriage to my wife. Is it easy? Not if you ask her. It's hard. That's part of what makes it so beautiful. See, if you expect it to be difficult, you won't be shocked when it is. 
But if you expect the Christian life to be easy without any wrestling with God ever, you will be very disappointed from time to time. Because if the expectation you put on God is for things to be easy, that's a promise he won't make. If you've lived with a label that God disagrees with and you've been living with it for 20 years, you think it's gonna be just as simple as, not anymore. You, you think it was easy to lie for as long as I did, as much as I did, as big as I did, and then just go, not anymore. I had trained my tongue to manipulate. When you train yourself to do one thing, you have to know you'll have to untrain yourself before you train yourself to do it a completely different way. There's a wrestling. When God sent me to Scottsdale, I didn't understand this, but the first 10 years was a wrestling match. And three and a half years ago in a hotel, Holiday Inn in London, England, where I would least expect it, God changed my name. And I'm gonna be talking about that with you over the next couple of weeks. I experienced a name change, didn't see it coming, but didn't know this whole time I've been here, I've been wrestling with God. Sometimes I feel like the best thing I can do as a pastor is step into a wrestling match someone is having with God and just encourage them. Satan wants to discourage. God wants you to be encouraged, to keep wrestling, to not give in. Jacob says, I will not let you go. This has been a curse in my family for generations. And I'm not letting go until it's broken. It ends with me. I will not let go until you bless me. Is that selfish? It is not. That's what patriarchs and matriarchs do. But it doesn't come easy. It comes with wrestling. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you're headed. But I do know this, God is among us. God is moving. Some of us need to be awakened to get back into the wrestling match again. To not just exist, to not just move through life and go, eh, it's good. No, 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 God's doing something. And he's doing something in me and he's doing something in you. How will you respond? Jacob said, I love the holy moment we had in Genesis 28. And it led to me wrestling with myself. But I want to step not into a new season. I want to fully step into my new nature. And when God changed a name, one of the things he was communicating was a new identity. Jacob went from the one who stole the blessing to the famous one who received the blessing in such a manner that all the people of the earth were blessed through him and his children. If you're wrestling, it will be worth it.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.